Welcome to the P Primo Show. It is episode number 60. Chris, how did we get here this fast? I don't know, Pete. You know, but they say something about time flying. Oh, Lord. And if we're not having fun, we got to stop doing this, right? Absolutely. Little bit of role reversal here today, folks. Chris Stone, my my famous producer, is going to actually have hosting duties and he's going to interview me about sales and business lessons that I learned powerlifting of all things. You can see a little of the hardware behind me. I was blessed and lucky enough to win uh, 26 national and world uh, titles when I powerlifted from 2000 to 2005. And uh, without a further to do, I am just going to pay the bills and then I'm going to let Chris do his thing. Guys, if you haven't bought your book, Sell a Million, 101 Ways to Make More Money Selling Mattresses and Furniture, what are you waiting for? Hurry up and get your copy of Sell a Million or More this year. And I would like to thank my sponsor, Steve. Uh, from the Mattress Industry Network. It is a fabulous group of retailers, probably pushing around 1,200 members now, for sure over 1,100 members. It is 100% free. Join this group. It is a group run by, run by retailers for the entire industry. In this industry, you will find... Um, you will find business owners... Just like you, store owners, you will find sales reps, you will find VPs of sales, you will find owners of manufacturers, presidents of companies that you do business with are in this group. So if you have not joined uh, Mattress Industry Network, you need to join now and learn how to build, market, and sell better than your competition. If you want a ticket to fast track your success, this is it. Join the Mattress Industry Network. It is absolutely free. And without a further to do, Chris, you got some questions for me about powerlifting? I, I'm sure everyone's wondering, what the heck does powerlifting and business have to do with anything? Yeah, Pete, it's come up on a number of, of, of your shows. And um, you, you've talked about how um, football, right? Um, yeah. you you actually were a what practice squad for New England Patriots, uh, for for a a bit for a cup of coffee or two, yeah. Um, and not, not even <laughs> right, 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 right. But we all ran into that thing where it's like size wise, you just can't compare with some of these mutants. Um, but you did talk a lot. You do talk a lot about um powerlifting and you bring it up every once in a while. And I was surprised when you came to me with this, this show title. Um, and I, you know, seriously, what the heck does sales and business have to do with powerlifting? Like, uh, I have a feeling you're going to give us some, you're going to take us to school here a little bit, but I, I... think it, it'll all be worth it. Uh, especially after uh, we see this cover of you um, bending the bar at uh, 705 pounds in Fremont, Ohio, way back in 2005, the Wayback Machine. So what the heck does sales of business have to do with powerlifting? So there's probably not a sport that looks like it's an individual sport on its face 
but it's actually a team sport. And, you know, so the short answer to your question is everything. And if you really want to just put life into little siphons and try not to learn, nothing. So I I will say that. But I often talk about, Chris, successes and failures. And a lot of my guests do too. I mean, the one that just leaps to my mind is Doug Stewart. He loves talking about failures that launch you to success. So I call it the Laughlin Massacre. Um, I had been powerlifting for about a year, not very long. Um, I, uh, kind of got into this on a whim. So talk about that real quick. I was in a store and I saw this powerlifting magazine and I said, well, I want to see what these guys lift. And then I noticed that there were divisions. Well, you know, I'm 40 years old at the time and I I'm looking at the weights and I'm going, I can lift more than that. I go, I I know I don't really lift seriously, but so then I just started to test certain lifts that were the competitive lifts. And I'm like, I lift more than these dudes in this magazine. And so it just kind of started. So my joke is it was really my midlife crisis. I didn't have the money for a red convertible. So I ended up (laughs) powerlifting. So, but I call... I, I, I call my first huge defeat the Laughlin Massacre. So I'm lifting by myself. I'm having success. Um, and I'm freaking some people out too. I, I, I'll never forget this. I was in Virginia and this dude I was competing against. I mean, this guy had muscles that had muscles. And I, I, I do not look anything like this dude. And um, I learned some lessons at that meet. Uh I guess I'm not going to start with the Laughlin Massacre. I'm going to start with my very first meet. I learned that once you call a weight, you can't go lower. So I called 440. Yeah, I called 440, which was the weight I wanted to end up with. And I called it and I missed the lift. And the reason I missed the lift, it it was a bench. Is because which 440, which, you know. Was it the Which, deadlift? Uh, hopefully it was the bench. Okay. It, it was the bench. And you have to pause at the bottom and you cannot go until they say press. Well, I didn't practice that way. So the first lesson is f- practice the way you're going to play, right? Understand the rules ahead of time. Okay. So that's huge. Um, and so I ended up beating the guy and the guy shook my hand and he, and he just sh- shook his head. He's just looking at me like, how in God's name could you beat me? And uh, I I always, you know, one of the things that I'm going to say at the end, but I'm going to say it now because smell the flowers along the way. To me, the the camaraderie that you have with a fellow lifter, I mean, I could be hugging and making a joke with a guy and then go out and turn into an animal 10 seconds later and make a lift and then come back and just keep telling jokes. So you have to have the ability if you're in sales to turn it on and turn it off. And if you can't do that, I I don't know how to teach that. I can teach a lot of things in sales, but that 
I can't teach the that ability to turn it on and off. I had that ability in football too. You know, um, I, I, it's just something that I developed over time. I don't know how to develop. So I, alter ego, maybe was it uh, like a mindset alter ego? Like I have to go here in order to achieve what I need to do. I, you know, maybe it's as simple as I'm a moody SOB, right? Okay. And, right? And I can just go into a dark place and get very emotional very quickly and then come back down off of it. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned some, some, um, the, the, the people that you dealt with, uh, in powerlifting. And I would imagine this, this may be the case with, with football as well. Do you still have relationships with some of the people that you met along the way now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as a there, are there what are lessons? What are some maybe some lessons there as it applies to people that are in in uh, you know in business and sales and marketing today? Those relationships. You get into a relationship what you're willing to put into it, and you have to go first. You have to go first. You might get rejected. You might find a a a, a fellow kindred spirit that you have a great relationship with forever, but. You've got to go first and, you know, the possibility for rejection is there always. You know, I don't know why. Maybe, well, here, here's probably the reason why. I had a great mother and father. I really just loved me. And, and let me know that, listen, we don't come from money. We don't have much, but, you know, if you're willing to work hard, you live in America, you can make whatever you want to make out of your life, Pete. And we know you're frustrated sometimes and we can't afford the best clothes and we can't afford everything that you want, but you live in America and you can, you can do whatever you want. And I was always kind of taught at a very young age that it was going to require effort. And, and so I guess that's another lesson, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to put effort into anything, into 100%. a business, into sales, into relationships, into lifting weights, if you want to get better. So let me get back to my, uh, well, well, here, let me follow up and finish your question. You cannot have a long-term relationship with anyone. And I mean, anyone, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, anyone, a business partner, a mentor, a teammate, without learning to say these words, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. And I know Fonzie and Happy Days couldn't say that, Chris, but you, you have to be able to say that because I'm going to tell you, I, 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 you know what? It's not flattering what I'm about to tell you but it will drive this point home. So if you noticed on Facebook, I'm gardening with a guy. He's my friend. I don't mention him by name, but we have this big garden that we do together. Well, he was my power lifting. He was my power lifting partner. Okay. And he was the guy that handed the weight off to me on the bench press. Now, everybody's different on how they like that handoff to go. I wanted a very light handoff because I didn't want the weight to come down on me all at once. So I wanted to feel the way I only needed a very light handoff. So 
the last five times before a big meet, I did not like the way he was handing off to me. And I didn't correct him. And, and that was mistake number one. I should have corrected him. And I should have said, Dan, I need a lighter handoff. You're giving me too heavy of a handoff. And the weight feels like it's crushing me at the top. I just let me get the, you know, just help me get the weight out just a little bit less because he, he was so strong. He could literally lift any weight out there himself. He was just uh, a beast and still is. <laughs> um, so at the meet, I go ballistic. And when I say I go ballistic, I go uncharacteristically ballistic, screaming at him at the top of my lungs, embarrassing my dead father, dead grandfather, and everybody that carries the Primo name. Really was embarrassed. I was horribly embarrassed. I ended up winning the meet, and then I had to go back to my friend, Dan, and say, Dan, I'm sorry that I exploded on you. I was wrong, and I was wrong, and I meant it. And, you know, very interesting because I didn't want to apologize because I was afraid of the rejection. I thought, no, no, Pete, that was just a bridge too far. I'm not going to forgive you. And we are not friends and, and don't even look at me sideways ever again in your life. But that's not what he said. This is what he said. Pete, you sure were an asshole that day. And I really appreciate you being man enough to admit it. And because of that, we're going to remain friends. To me, that was more important than all of these silly little trophies. And some of them mean more than others because of things that I had to overcome. But that I have a friend uh, from powerlifting 20 some years later that I garden with that God willing, when we're 70 years old, if we last that long or 80 years old, we'll still be in that garden, weed in that garden and, and doing that together because I was willing to put myself out there and apologize. So not flattering about me, but drives the point home. If you want to have a long-term relationship, you have to learn to say you're sorry and you're wrong when you are. So anybody that has a business partner understands that. <laughs> I think that's amazing. That's a, that's a really key point in terms of, you know, so many people nowadays talk about keeping it real, right? And they talk about um, maybe even vulnerability. But I think, you know, this was 2005-ish, right? And you're also... Three or four. Okay. And yeah. so you're also in this powerlifting sort of machismo, you know, uh, yeah. tough guy, hardcore type of uh, mentality. And so yeah. even more so, it was difficult uh, to not just be vulnerable, but to swallow and say, you know what? There are some things that are bigger than getting a record or, you know, uh, powerlifting or whatever. Like friendships last forever. And now... Uh, right. Your buddy Dan, I'm sure, is a beast of a gardener. Um, he is. He's as well. taught me a lot about gardening. And uh, <laughs> he, he's a very successful guy. He owns two steel companies. And, uh, you know, he, he has my retirement planned out for me. But uh, I don't think I'm ever going to retire. But that's a whole nother story. Um, so let's go back to the Laughlin Massacre. So I fly. And so I, I'm lifting. I am, I'm winning meats. Um, I'm reading everything I can read 
Um, I lost my first coach and mentor because it was my powerlifting girlfriend and we oh, broke wow. up <laughs> and we broke up. So I went to, uh, Nevada. I flew to Nevada for a meet and I had to drive an hour and a half, rented a car to Laughlin, Nevada. And I call it the Laughlin massacre because it's the only meet that I ever bombed out of. And I bombed out of it because nobody would help me put my bench shirt on. I didn't know how to use my bench shirt. I had barely practice in it. You can't get it on yourself. You need a team. And so that's my really first big lesson I wanted to talk about. You got to have a team. You got to have a coach. And listen, as you as a business owner, the problem is nobody's going to tell you that you're paying money to. Nobody's going to tell you you're wrong. No one's going to tell you your idea sucks. They're not going to do it. The reps aren't. All we want to do is get commission. I mean, seriously, most reps aren't going to tell you unless you've really developed a special relationship or it's a special rep. I have told uh, dealers exactly what I thought about something when I was asked, but I bombed out and I got mad and I said, well, you know, these guys wouldn't help me, blah, blah, blah. And so then another business lesson and lesson for all human beings, forget about business, forget about sales, own your result, own mm. the result. I, I flew to Nevada. I drove down to Laughlin. I didn't practice appropriately. I didn't have a team. I didn't have a coach and I didn't have the support that I needed to win. And guess what? I bombed out. So light bulb goes off in your head. What of these things could I control? I could control having a team. I can control having a co coach. I can control how I practice. So control those things that you can control because God knows there's enough things in our life that we can't control, but that I could control. So that was, um, that was an, an important turning point. That's why you need to join Mattress Industry Network. We will tell you when your idea sucks. And that, Steve, that I know you're trying to be funny, dude, but that's true. And it is. I've seen it happen in that group. And it's an important part of that group. You will get told if people have tried your idea and it has absolutely bombed and failed. And sometimes you'll get mixed responses. And But sometimes, you know, if 10 other business owners tell you not to do it, Chances are you shouldn't do it. So, yeah, Pete, have you ever watched that terrible show, American Idol? Or at least you you have a general idea of what it's yeah, about. Yeah, I, I can't watch it because they're yeah. so cruel and I, mean. I, I just don't I, like the whole well, gig. So, so you've seen it to where someone comes in and they are surrounded by their parents and their family and talking about how how awesome they are and how what a tremendous you know talent they are, and then they get up in front of these. Definitely, these amazing historical talents, and they then they start, and what is supposed to come out of their mouth is something beautiful, and what uh, comes out is something that only a mother could love, and right, right. so and and because they've been told all their life, all their lives, how mm. great they are, yeah, and so you know, there's a proverb: it's iron sharpens iron, and you don't get stronger, you don't, you know. When you broke down those muscles from powerlifting, it hurt, right? It hurt mm -hmm. the next day, maybe days, 
Maybe there were weeks where you were like, I, you know, I got to get my, you know, I got to get, you know, this back in order before I can, before I can lift. Well, that's your muscle tear, you know, breaking down, but growing when it comes back and you do the proper sort of uh, supplementation, it's stronger. You got to right, break right. things down to get stronger. And the mind, in a lot of ways, is the same way. You got to, you have to be able to go through those failures, learn from those failures, be strong enough to, to withstand, have thick enough skin. So when, right. when, when Steve tells you your idea sucks in the mattress industry network, respect that that guy went through a lot more than maybe what you've gone through. And even if he hasn't, I think you could maybe you could talk about things that you learn from people, not necessarily like the upper level people in in there. You could learn things from all kinds of people at various levels of of any yeah. industry, of any sport like powerlifting, because yeah. you just want to soak up their their experience, their wisdom, their knowledge, because you can learn right. from their failures and avoid them. Right? Yep. Yep. So. Uh... So the next thing that I would say is when you have a success, relish it, celebrate it, really soak it up for about one day and then move on. Because as John Wooden said, failure waits for all those who stay with some success made yesterday. So Failure waits for all those who stay with some success made yesterday. John Wooden said that. I love it. Knows a little bit about winning. Uh, probably <laughs> the greatest basketball coach of all time, at least college basketball coach. So celebrate success. You know, when I think of sports, I don't think there's a better sport than powerlifting for incremental goals because there's a weight, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, when I started lifting... I just wanted to win these things, win trophies. That's really all I wanted. I wanted it was, <laughs> it was my midlife crisis. I, I didn't. I didn't start off going. I'm going to bench press 705 pounds one day. That didn't even cross my mind. Literally, um, you know, I started off, you know, where a lot of people end their careers at, like in the 400 area. And then I ended up going up to 705. And that's that's with a powerlifting shirt. That's, I mean, with a bench shirt, that's a specific technique. But incremental goals is huge. Um, there's there's an interesting story. I, remind me to tell that story at the very end. Um, so I want to go back to um, failures. So I had another failure right after. So. Me and Jenny, my wife of, wow, almost 15 years now, um, we were deciding when to get married and we're going to get married um, in California with her family um, in the summer. But I had a meet coming up and I had no insurance. So we decided to get married by the Justice of the Peace on Friday and on Sunday I was in a meet and I dropped 600 pounds on my neck. Oh, Six, 600 God. pounds. So what happened, basically, nobody really probably cares about this part of it. I was so psyched up and amped up that when that I got that press call, I just jammed it and I just lost it. I went too high, too fast, and I lost it. And the one spotter missed it. And so it clipped my neck. 
And uh, I was convinced I was dead. And then, uh, so, like, I woke up and I was, like, sitting up on the bench. And there's, like, all these people around me going, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm saying, oh, that's cool. There's power lifting in heaven. Because, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm ever the optimist. I'm in heaven. Jesus loves me and I'm in heaven. And not only does Jesus love me, <laughs> but he loves me so much. He put power lifting in heaven. So, so anyway, so here's the crazy thing about that whole thing. The lift before the 600 was, mm -hmm. was a, a national record. The squat before that was a national record. If I could get a doctor to sign off on letting me deadlift, I could, I, I could probably have a squat, a bench, and an overall national record and win the national championship. So I'm like, my coach is like, how do you feel? I said, I want a deadlift. I, I, I go, you gotta, you gotta talk to them and let, 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 let them deadlift. Now I got this blood and this, this bruise on my neck. You know, it, it looked bad. It looked bad. It, Did it, you it lose consciousness? Bad. Is that why you just, you came to? I just kind of blacked out a little bit. Yeah. Um, cause I was, I knew what happened. I knew it, I felt it crushing my neck. So I, I knew I was dead. I mean, that 600 pounds, you're not going to survive that, right? You're, you're not going to survive it. So I'm dead in my mind, but I wasn't because good Lord wasn't done. Because the good Lord wanted me to do this show with you today, Chris. That's there fine. you go. There you go. What did you do to the spotter who missed it? Did you, I mean, I, 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 at I least a look or something. <laughs> well, no, you know, I was I was so focused, uh, and that's one of the the lessons that powerlifting teaches you to be focused. So, um, mm. the interesting thing is, two guys stepped up that were ex powerlifters in the gym. One was a retired coach, and they kind of like walked me through what I needed to do with the deadlift. They made all the calculations for me, and they basically said, "Listen, go in." With a re you get three attempts on the deadlift. Go in with a really light opener, just get it, secure your national records, and then on the second lift, we're gonna go, we're gonna win the meet. So first, first one went up fine. Um, my hands were always my weak spot on my deadlift. And so what they did on the second deadlift, and I never even knew that it's a little trick. So that's a that's a lesson. Know the tricks. Know all the tricks. Know the basics. Execute the basics, but know the tricks. And the way you're going to know the tricks is coaches, because I had no idea. So you make a fist as tight as you can make it. They wrap your fist. You can barely unclench it. And then when you grab the bar, it's a much tighter uh, squeeze on the bar. So did that, made all three of my power lifts, and everything went fine. Now, when something bad happens, something has to change. My wife didn't speak two words to me other than, are you okay? And the doctor at the meet who said, hey, you're okay. 
He goes, just promise me when you get home tonight that you go and have a CAT scan. He goes, you're probably okay, but you need to have a CAT scan. And so, so, you know, she, other than just an occasional, hey, are you okay? There was like no discussion in the car. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I married this guy and, you know, he's going to kill himself and poor, poor wife. So I had to change some things. So I changed um, the two guys that helped. One of them was a retired coach. He came out of retirement to coach me. So I changed coaches and I changed gyms based on that failure. Now, here's the next one. Um, and it's really big. Whenever possible, when you have a failure, get back up on that horse and ride. So two weeks later, in Glens Falls, New York, I benched 600 pounds. And I'm going to tell you something. The first time I touched a weight, that Monday or Tuesday, no, it was Tuesday after the meet, I could, I shook just having a, a, the bar in my hand. I was so afraid. And when, I mean, 135, I'm, I'm nervous, 235, I'm nervous, 350. I'm strong enough to bench 600 pounds. And yet it did such a number on me. And it, it took me the better part of a week to just stop shaking when I laid down on a bench. I had so much fear. And I knew it was so big and it was so bad. And it was such an 800 pound bear in the closet that I had to get this off of my back. I had to get rid of it. And the only way to get rid of it was to go into a competition and bench 600 pounds. And the funny part of that is, is I did it where I grew up. I did it with my bench coach. That's a whole nother lesson. And I did it with my friend, Todd Montrello in the audience, who, by the way, helped me. And he goes, uh, Peter, he goes, um, I don't think I can really be the guy to hand off to you in warmups. And I go, why? He goes, because I can't lift that weight. I said, Todd, if I miss the weight, I'm going to miss it by five or 10 pounds. Uh, can you put five or 10 pounds of upward pressure on that bar? He goes, yeah, I can do that. I said, okay, that's all I need you to do. Don't look at the weight. I can handle the weight. If it gets a little bit out of the groove, I might just need a little help. You're not going to have to lift the weight. So, you know, he's just a nervous Nelly and he's a great guy. He's a childhood friend. I mean, we've been like best friends since high school and um, he was there and that was kind of special um, when I benched that, that 600. And so that's the other thing. So you hear about guys like Tom Brady, you know, very average in, in college. Uh, if you read the scouting reports um, that the pro scouts had on him, it, not impressive. He was not drafted high. He was not highly regarded. But you, you've got a guy who never stopped developing his his body, his mind, his craft. He uh, spent. He invested money into very specific coaches, nutrition coaches, fitness coaches, uh, his own quarterback coach to uh, correct his form. I had a bench press coach. I had a bench press coach for two reasons. One, my retired coach who came out of retirement to coach me did not know how to coach somebody using a bench shirt. 
uh, because it's a slightly different groove. It's a different technique and it's almost it, its own thing. And so I found a guy named Bill Crawford and Bill, I hope you're still alive and I hope you listen to this. So I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I would drive eight hours uh, to bench uh, once uh, every, about once every two weeks when I was in training. Uh, and we would go for hours and hours and hours. And this guy would never take a dime. And uh, God bless him. Um, and that paid huge dividends because in one of my, my biggest meets, his uh, right-hand guy, um, Sebastian, God rest his soul, he's not with us anymore. Uh, Sebastian um, was at that meet. Bill was not at that meet. And when I had my very best meet, there was some, something went wrong. And something, the thing that went wrong is I had worked so hard in the shirt and um, I was probably weighing around 285. And I sucked down to, to lose 10 pounds to make the weight at 275. And I didn't put it all the way back on for the meet. So my shirt was really loose. So Sebastian at the meet, he said, Pete, do you trust me? I go, yeah. He goes, Pete, do you fucking trust me? And I go, yes. Yes, I do. He goes, you do exactly what I tell you the minute that I tell you to, because this shirt is screwed. There is only a very, very narrow chance of you making this. And you're going to have to do exactly what I say at that moment. And I did. And so he pulled the shirt way down because it was too big and it wasn't going to give me the proper support. And I had this really narrow groove that, you know, I had to do exactly what he told me to do exactly at the right moment. But because we had done it in the gym hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times before, I was tuned into his voice. And there are people screaming left and right. This is national championships in York, Pennsylvania for the IPA. I mean, this is for all the marbles, man. And it was only a 650 bench, but I made the 650 bench. And that was important because that was my biggest uh, total. It was a 2,200 pound total, which is still a world record today um, for my age, for my age group. But there's a lot of guys that lift a lot more weights than that. But so here's a lesson on that. What do you, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, is this, this is the record we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so how old were you? This is 40 to 44 age group. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Master of 40, 44. So how old were you when you I was did this probably, in 2004? Well, I would have been uh, 44. 44 years old. So you're at the up. So there's, so there's guys here that are 40 years old that you're going up against that are four years your junior. Yeah. And you, there's your bench at 650. Yep. Uh, yeah. Squat at 870. Deadlift yeah. at 680. Yeah. It's kind of low on the on a deadlift, I gotta say. You could have done better than that, Pete. I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. The 2200, and that is considered a uh, world amateur men uh, record here, 275 pounds. So 
Yeah, I'm that's, surprised uh, it stands all, all these years later. It's surprising to me. I, I never thought any of the records that I set would would uh, would stand that long. But hey, my my quarterback sack record I think stood for 30 years at BW, 30, 35 years. Somebody finally broke it, so I was happy about that. How anyway. many? So was it a was it a total sack record or was it a yeah a, four a year season four oh, okay. four year sack record? How many sacks in four years? I forgot. I forgot. I don't know. I, I I don't know much. So, um, so there were a lot of lessons, you know, in that special coaches. If you own a store and you don't hire a consultant on some level, you're making a mistake. If you own your own business and you don't hire a consultant, another pair of eyes and ears, you are going to miss opportunities that will cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. So I would encourage everybody here to reach out and hire consultants to the degree that you can do it. When you're very small, it might be, it might be your wife and you might not be able to pay her anything. It might be you know, uh, a business partner. It might be a rep that you trust. Um, and as you have more success, you'll be able to invest more money. But, you know, my regular coach was great, but he didn't understand how to bench in a shirt. And Bill Crawford was the best in the world. I mean, this dude did an 800 pound bench um, at like 300 pounds. So, I mean, and, you know, so, so the weird thing that I was kind of blessed with is my arms are too long to be a really great bencher, but I made up for it in technique. And so this is what I would say to you, but it also was an advantage because when I lifted against Scott Mount, who's a great guy, I love Scott. Um, I, he knew that he would lose when it came time to deadlift because he couldn't deadlift with me. I, I beat him on the deadlift by 150 pounds. So I had a good deadlift, not a great deadlift, a good deadlift, a very good deadlift in my time. But when you look at the old time uh, power lifters, they were much stronger on the deadlift than the, the new era. And I think it's just because it's a grind. A good rep can be a great asset to success. Yep, I agree. And I try to be that rep whenever possible, brother. Thank you, thank, thank you, Steve. I see what you did there, Steve. I see what you did there. Yeah, he gave me a layup <laughs> shot. He's like... Uh, He's good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Shout out Mattress Industry Networks. Pete, you brought up something I think is... Uh, you kind of glazed over it, but I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on this. You talked about your coach's voice. And there was all this other noise around you, but that the coach's voice cut through. And, and it's, and, uh, you know, we can talk about sports all you want. And my dad, whenever he would go to my games, he'd be in a crowd and it didn't matter if there was 10,000 people or 10. I heard my dad's voice. I heard it when I was in the huddle. I heard it when I was at the free throw line. I heard it at everywhere that I went. And there's something about being attuned to that. But one thing, um, that I've also noticed in, in, and, you know, maybe, maybe speak to this as well as I've had mentors along the way. I've had some mentors that were actually my manager, my, you know, superior. And 
Um, I've learned some things, but I also hear uh, her voice or his voice in my head sometimes. When I'm getting ready to do something, I can hear Susan Luke, who uh, was my branch manager uh, when I when I started at uh, at Sony, say, "You don't want to bother that person. You need to go and learn that yourself." Like something like that, and it would it would just you know all of a sudden that voice comes in your head, that coaching voice. Maybe maybe you know talk to that as far as how that would apply to sales and marketing and business today. Your question is a great question, and it's. This is what I would say. If you just look at successful people and people who aren't as successful, and then you uh, were to ask yourself a question, do I perceive this person as coachable or not coachable? The most successful people are the ones who are the most coachable, and they are the ones that carry around voices in their heads from their mentors. And the, the, it's actually creates guideposts. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget Bob Sherman at Serta Mattress. And he was giving me a lesson on uh, something very, very technical. And uh, he was giving me a compliment and then he was, gave me a lesson. And I never forgot the lesson. It, too technical to go into here. But every time, I think I'm the big cheese. I'm the big kahuna. I'm winning the war on a retailer's floor. I always have Bob Sherman's voice say, or Peter, you just might be getting your ass kicked because sometimes that happens. We are really happy with this ultra premium business, but we're not digging in and giving uh, the ammunition the de the dealer needs in the lower end, and and anyway, you you got to hear you. Those voices become guideposts for our life, and I think the most successful people have those voices. Listen to those voices; those things pop up. They stay; those lessons stay with us. I mean, I can't tell you how many things that my dad told me. I mean, you know, hundreds of times a day. Uh, my dad died in 84 and uh, hundreds of times a day, Pete, you can have anything you want in life if you're willing to work hard enough for it. Can't tell you how many times a day that comes. So anytime that I want to take it easy or not do everything that I have to do, that voice, when I'm tired and I would just want to go to the hotel room instead of go one, one more store, I go to the one more store because I hear that voice. And, you know, some people might say, hey, you know, that voice is um, uh, that that voice is damning you to a life of struggle. And I would suggest to you that that life has opened up the gate to prosperity for me. That's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. The easy road, the easy road would be go back to the hotel. But, yeah, you know, the other, you know, the easy road's boring. Yeah. Yeah, it is <laughs> boring. It, it is. really is. It is. So, um, what I have, I had something here I wanted to talk about. Did you really bench seven hundred and five pounds in a competition? Yeah, yeah I and, really and did. This is this is the picture that we pulled up here. This is yeah, seven hundred and five pounds. Yeah, and this was like at, at what point were you in in your life? At, at what point? This is obviously. 
I'm trying to read this. This is really I'm tough. 45, here. I'm 45 years old here. Um, wow. It's December 10th, 2005, Fremont, Ohio. So, so this is very interesting. So I had done an 870 squat when I did um, the 2200 total. And we, we knew I could do a thousand. We knew I was strong enough because that 870 was deep. It was super, super deep and it was super easy. And I, I just absolutely smoked that thing. That day, we could have probably put 950 on the bar and gotten it uh, with another with another training cycle, easy a thousand. So that was one of the benchmarks. This is one of the things, and there's a lesson in this, a really important lesson. Um, and I was going through, I was two weeks out from my meet. And this is the day that I'm going to do 900 for a double, probably. Um, and and it, there wasn't a nerve in my body about it. I mean, I was just going through my warm up, and I noticed my, my back hurt, even with like 135 pounds on it. And I'm like, I, I'm going to my coach. I go, something's wrong. And he goes, so just keep working up. So 225, my back's hurting even worse. 315, my back's hurting. 405, my my back. And I just looked at him and I said, Coach, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And and so we I went to the doctor and I found out that I have all kinds of horrible stuff. Yeah, thank the good Lord that I had the pain and I recognized the pain that I had and I went and got professional help because uh, had I tried to just uh, gone through the pain and put the thousand pounds on my back and if by some miracle I would have squatted it, I might be a cripple or be dead. Um my, my back was seriously screwed up, so screwed up that I had to have a double back fusion. So, so sometimes in your business life and in your sales life, you have to punt. You just, you have to punt. You have to let go of something and you have to start again in a different direction. And so I decided that based on what the doctor said that I could not squat again. And I went into a bench only meet and uh, I went from the 275 pound weight limit up to the 303, just so I didn't have to suck in the 10 pounds and uh, of, of weight. And so I had, fun. It, you know, Chris, let me tell you something. I always say smell of flowers along the way. <laughs> I ate so many Krispy Kreme donuts and ate, <laughs> drank so much milk. I had the time of my life going from 285 up to 301. But I have to tell you this. When I went to weigh in that morning, the morning of December 10th, and I weighed in, I walked a total of about 100, maybe 200 feet to weigh in. And here I am, 5'10", 301 pounds, I walked 100 to 200 feet and I was pouring sweat. And this <laughs> voice comes into my head. Some could say it's God. Some could say it's anything they want to be. I believe it was God trying to get my attention. 
Pete, you're 45 years old. Your father died of a heart attack when he was 51. Your grandfather died of a 44, uh, died of a heart attack at 44. What are you doing? And I literally said this, Lord, just let me make the 705 and I promise I'll quit. Made that deal right there on the spot. Made that deal. Wow. Wow. Made, made that deal. So you think the rest of the story, it would go swimmingly well. And I would just go one, two, three, do my 705 and everything's great. That's the way the movie ends, right? That is the way the movie ended. But what happened in between is the stuff that legends are made of. So this shirt, this denim shirt is two ply. Some federations allow a two ply, some a one ply. This was a two ply shirt. And what the way it works is it constricts and it gives you more support at the bottom. So you can lift more weight with this shirt than you could just a raw bench. So that's the basic principle. So what happens is I make my, my first two uh, lifts fine. The next one is 705. On the 705, at the bottom, before I get the press call, you just hear this horrible, horrible sound. And I didn't know if it was the shirt or my pec ripping. It was the shirt, not the, my pec. The shirt ripped and this gas went off in the audience because they knew there's no way this weight's coming up. And that weight just came up and it came up and it came up. And I know this is my last bench ever. It's never happening again. I promise God I'm not doing this anymore. I'm married. I have a beautiful, loving wife. I don't want to end up a cripple. And it just, it was, just, it felt like an hour and finally got to the completion, three, three white lights. And uh, the funny thing is there was a big time power lifter and a guy that's made a nice career out of power lifting, uh, Dave Tate. Dave, if you're watching this, um, thanks for your encouragement. After I got to the back and took the shirt off, he goes, I wanted to see that effing shirt. And he, and he looks and he folds it over and he goes, just what I thought, the effing thing tore. He goes, congratulations on doing a raw 705 bench press. So sometimes here's the lesson. Sometimes, no matter how well you prepare, things go wrong. And sometimes it's just really a matter of how bad do you want it? How much have you put into it? You know, a lot of lifters who hadn't put in what I put into it, I mean, I could tell you all this stuff went off in my head, all the trips, the eight-hour trips to New York to, to bench press went off in my head. None of that happened. I mean, I, I'm just going to tell you this. I knew it was my last bench press. I knew that I had to make it if it was at all possible. And I knew that I promised God that I would never do this foolishness again. And, um, and I was lucky. And a lot of people will say, no, Pete, that wasn't luck. That was you know, thousands and thousands of reps in the gym. And when it went wrong, 
That was your muscle memory kicking in and you executed the lift perf- perfectly. And, you know, you want to talk about that 650 was tough. That 705 was, I mean, the, the first lesson, I guess, is don't freak out when things go wrong. Just stay, stay in the pocket, stay in the groove and just keep pushing. That would be my advice. So those are my lessons, man. Yeah, I've got pages and pages of notes here, Pete. This has been fantastic. I, I think one of the, a couple of the things, if I could, just to highlight that that I, those that have joined and are watching later, you know, kind of, you know, go back and 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 hit the replay if you if you join somewhat later. But like, I love the um, the own your result part part the responsibility piece of what you did, and and when um, when you hit a failure. Um, you know, the, the, one of the first things we do is we, we start to point fingers at who's at fault and usually it's pointing the other way, right? It's not pointing at the mirror. It's not pointing back at yourself, um, instead of owning the responsibility. And, um, that's how you learn. That's how you get better. And uh, so I love that. I love the relish your success, but only for a day, uh, with the wooden (laughs) quote. I think, uh, I think that was, um, that was yeah, absolutely uh, key, and of course, like you know, I love the uh, the 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 voice uh, part of it because that really that really hit home with me. Is is you know, I hear my father's voice, I hear mentors' voices all the time. Those are the voices you need to surround yourself with, even if you are alone, right? We want right. to surround ourselves with other people that are going to sharpen our irons and and help us get better. But that doesn't mean that even if we're alone, we can't do that. And I think that's that's important and. Uh, I also like I also like the phrase that you used was um I don't know if I don't know if it's yours or not but just go ahead and own it and that is uh the most successful people are the most coachable people and that is um that that couldn't ring more true uh to anyone I mean no matter yeah, how good I'm, you think you are you know there's someone yeah. that you that can help you get better Yeah I I I've never heard anybody quote that but I'm sure hundreds if not thousands of people have said that um, so I guess I will own it, but, there you um, go. <laughs> you know, I, I was very, very lucky, Chris, because, you know, I, I, you know, there are most power lifters limp. I don't limp. Uh, most power lifters have horrible injuries. Uh, I, I've seen some, some horrible injuries and, and listen, I learned a lot from my, from my injuries, you know, um, I guess this would be another business lesson. Um, I was doing dips and I had a belt on and I had uh, four 45 pound plates on there. So what, 190, uh, 180 pounds in extra weight. And I felt like a little bit of a, of a, a, a twinge in my, uh, pack. And I said to myself, you know, if you do another one, you're probably going to rip it. And so, you know, being the little animal, I said, F it. And I properly ripped that pack. And so here's the funny thing. It didn't, my coach told me exactly what was going to happen. He said, Pete, he goes, got to go to the doctor. You got to look at it make sure it doesn't need to be surgically reattached. He goes, based on me looking at it, I don't think so, but go do that. He goes, what's going to happen is over the course of a week, you're going to have a bruise that develops here and then it's going to go down. And by the end of the week, you're going to have the most freaky looking hand because it's going to be purple and yellow because the blood just comes down. 
And so, so I learned the lesson that when your body is talking to you, instead of saying F it, listen. So this could be for you store owner, you get a little pain in your chest and you go, no, 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 go to the doctor. I'm just telling you, go to the doctor. And I'm going to tell you one of my friends, a very successful guy, his brother had major heart surgery. And he said, you know, the, the, the number one thing is, is genetics. So I better, I feel fine. I've lost weight. My health is good. I better just go get looked at. He went and got looked at and they put him on an operating table a few hours later and did a quadruple bypass surgery. No damage to his heart. But here was a guy who was smart enough. I'm not going to use his name. He was smart enough to say, hey, listen, my brother's having this problem. I don't feel anything, but I'm just going to be just air on the side of safety. And he's going to live because he listened to his body. So listen to your body, listen to your mind. And sometimes, sometimes uh, it's okay to fall short and live to fight another day. So with that, I'll finish up. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. I enjoyed it, man. Um, this is uh, chock full of great stuff and uh, we'll see you all next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. 